Before we begin today's podcast, we would like to acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the traditional custodian of our office's land. We recognize their continuing connection to land, waters, and community, and pay our respects to their cultures and elders past and present. We stand in solidarity with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders people in their continuing struggles for justice. Hey everyone, welcome to Trial by Podcast. Um, my name is Naomi and my co-host is Tiffany and we're both in the 2022 graduate program at McCabe's. Today our podcast is about makeup stores and testers, specifically what you could do if you get an infection from trying a makeup tester in the store. Now it's very common for makeup stores and even some chemists to have makeup samples and testers for customers to try. Now this model of try before you buy is an appealing one and it's become an essential part of the shopping experience. It helps customers explore different products and make a more confident purchase decision. Yeah, I cannot imagine buying makeup without testing it beforehand. Do you test it on your skin? Yeah, but not directly on my face. I just do a swatch on the back of my hand or on my arm. I bet at least 100 people pick up a particular lipstick or foundation tester on any given day. So obviously, I would not want to put that on my lips or my face. There are plenty of articles on how makeup products can become home to bacteria or viruses, especially if they are stored in warm and humid conditions. Germs can grow on the surface of a tester. Yeah, for sure. And after two and a half years of being around COVID-19, I think our society has a much greater awareness that some viruses are spread by skin-to-skin contact, while some can also be transmitted by droplets. A customer can get infected when they use the product that has previously been used by an infected person. So with this sort of double dipping and skin-to-skin contact, germs will grow on the product and spread very quickly from one person to another. In other situations, an infected person might not need to physically use the product for germs to get on it. For example, it could be as simple as the infected person speaking or coughing around it, which would cause their droplets to land on the tester. Yeah, especially with so many people using testers, the risk of contamination of makeup testers and exposure to diseases are high, increasing the chances of infection if they're not clean regularly. I used to share makeup products and brushes with friends. That was until 2015 when I heard about the 27-year-old Brisbane woman who shared a makeup brush with her friend and became paralyzed from the waist down. Doctors believed that a rare staph infection entered her body from a pimple on her face, and she used her friend's makeup brush. Stories like that make you more mindful about cleaning your own brushes regularly and not sharing them with other people. Yeah, that's so unfortunate. Now, there was another case relating to makeup in 2015, which was brought in America. Now, a woman in LA actually sued Sephora for negligence, negligent infliction of emotional distress and intentional infliction of emotional distress because she claimed that she contracted oral herpes from a lipstick tester at Sephora and she sought $25,000 in damages. Wow, that's a lot of money. What were the arguments? So she argued that Sephora is culpable for any infections that arise in their store because they put makeup samples on display and encourage customers to use them. They noted that the company, I say this in quotation, even provides pads and fluid to wipe the lipstick and other makeup off potential customers' lips and faces so that they can try on other lipstick and makeup. Now, of course, most of these pads and fluids and wands are very clearly intended to keep customers from directly applying the samples from tube to face. So I do think it's a bit of a stretch to say that their presence encourages dangerous use. 
And they argued that Sephora employees should explicitly tell customers not to directly apply makeup instead of using the readily available disposable applicators. Now, they said this is because many users are very young females and uneducated and unsophisticated females. Well, did she win in the end? Well, she ended up reaching a settlement with Sephora, but the terms of this settlement weren't disclosed. Uh, Do you know, are there any such cases in Australia? I am not aware of any similar cases in Australia, but if it were to happen here in Australia, the customer might be able to bring a claim under occupier's liability. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you think the customer could bring a claim under the Australian consumer law? Doesn't that protect consumers? Well, many people would think the Australian consumer law, or as we would like to call it, the ACL, would apply because it relates to consumer goods. The ACL contains a list of consumer guarantees. An example is that a supplier and a manufacturer must guarantee that their goods are of acceptable quality and that they match any description provided. However, these consumer protection and rights only apply to goods and services acquired. So if the contamination is not from the manufacturing process and the consumer has not bought the tester, the consumer guarantees under the ACL will not protect the consumer if they get an infection from it. Right, okay. Occupier's liability would apply because under the law, an occupier of the premises has a duty to take reasonable care for the safety of a person who enters the premises, regardless of if they're a visitor or a trespasser. That's right. The landmark case of Australian Safeway Stores Propriety Limited and Zalusna in 1987 integrated the law of occupier's liability into the mainstream law of negligence. So the legal elements to proving occupier's liability are the same as the elements of torts of negligence. Now, the first thing to prove is that the occupier owes a duty of care towards the visitor to take reasonable care to avoid foreseeable risks of harm. While there are situations in which the occupier could owe a duty of care towards trespassers, a duty of care is generally sufficiently established when a person lawfully enters the premises. This is relatively easy to establish in the retail setting as most customers enter the shopping premises legally. Once duty of care is established, we look at the scope of duty and whether the occupier has breached that. This is determined in accordance with the factors identified in Section 5B and also the qualifying considerations in Section 5C of the Civil Liability Act, New South Wales. This part is more complicated because there are multiple factors to take into consideration. To determine whether the shop has breached its duty as the occupier to protect customers from foreseeable risk of injury, we need to look at whether it was foreseeable that someone could get an infection from using the testers. In other words, is the infection a risk which the shop knew or ought to have known about? I would argue that given the number of customers who visit the store and use the testers, the shop should know or ought to know that testers might get contaminated by germs and diseases can be transmitted through all the customers essentially sharing testers. Therefore, the risk of customers getting infections from testers is foreseeable. Yeah, I agree. Now, since there aren't any reported cases of such incidents in Australia, we can only say that the probability of such cause of infection is low. This might be because most customers are sensible and don't directly test makeup on their face. Other factors to consider are significance of the risk and the seriousness of harm, which obviously will be determined on a case-by-case basis. The next question we need to consider is whether the store did all that was reasonably necessary to prevent such infection or injury from occurring. When looking at this point, we shouldn't look at what could have been done, but rather would it have been reasonable for the store to take those measures? 
I can think of a few easy precautionary measures that stores can implement to prevent infections and transmissions from makeup testers. For example, having staff clean or replace testers regularly. Yeah, definitely. Now, after proving duty of care and breach of that duty of care, the customer must also prove causation. Now, this just means showing that their infection was a result of the contaminated makeup tester in the store, as opposed to having contracted the infection from somewhere else prior. Is there a deadline at which the customer must bring the claim? Yes, there is. The limitation period, what we call the deadline, is three years from the date of injury or the day the person becomes aware that they have a cause of action, which in many cases is when a person first seeks legal advice. This is also referred to as the date of discoverability. Of course, if you think you have a possible claim, it's best to seek legal advice as soon as possible, as three years can go by quickly. The compensation that a customer can receive is probably the most important part. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Now, compensation depends on the type and seriousness of the injury, but they might be awarded damages, which is a legal term for compensation for pain and suffering and loss of enjoyment of life. A customer could also be awarded compensation for out-of-pocket expense, such as expenses and medical bills incurred as a result of the injury they sustained. There might also be damages for loss of income. If as a result of the injury, the customer is unable to work or if they have a reduced capacity for work. Lastly, the customer can also claim for expenses related to care and assistance provided by family members or paid commercial care, subject to different thresholds that must be met in different states. For instance, in New South Wales, there is no entitlement for past care that has been provided gratuitously unless the need has been for at least six hours per week and for a continuous period of six months. Yeah, definitely. I think it's worth noting that the herpes simplex virus, which was the subject infection of the American Sephora claim, is incredibly common. In 2022, the World Health Organization estimated that 3.7 billion people under the age of 50, which is about 67% of people worldwide, have oral herpes globally. Interestingly, some 90% of people that are diagnosed with herpes by way of a blood test have never actually had symptoms and had no idea that they had it. So it's likely that actual infection rates are higher than surveys suggest. And this is what makes lawsuits like these so difficult because it's very difficult to ascertain whether an individual actually contracted herpes from a makeup tester or whether they had it already without realising. But on the off chance that an individual doesn't have oral herpes, it is best to use one of the disposable applicators rather than testing makeup straight from a tube in store. There are various measures that companies can also take, such as individual prepackaged samples. They are definitely a win for safety, but an issue is the lack of sustainability. A majority of makeup products are encased in plastic packaging, which is unrecyclable. Another alternative is virtual try-on apps. For example, Ulta Beauty has developed a feature within its beauty app called Glam Lab, which enables customers to try on products virtually. Similarly, Sephora encourages the use of its virtual artist AR, which can be downloaded to facilitate virtual testing, shade matching and product education. I think the only drawback with these apps is that they can't achieve the same level of accuracy as testing the product on your skin, feeling the texture, seeing the colour comparison and ensuring that the product won't irritate your skin. The biggest takeaway is that if you're trying on makeup from a shared sample in store, it's so important to use disposable testers and test on your hand rather than on your face, mouth, or eyes. If customers practice good applicator hygiene, these issues can be avoided or at least mitigated. 
Now, there aren't currently any authoritative precedents in New South Wales that govern this issue. However, we can take away from the American Sephora case that this area of litigation may be tenuous. Most people have oral herpes already, and in general, it's probably a difficult task for potential plaintiffs to prove that a makeup store is liable for their infection. That's all we have time for today. Join us next time on Trial by Podcast. Thanks, guys.